Hallelujah. Well, are you ready to dive right into things today? Man, the book of Colossians is where we're at. We've been going through this series since January. And as I told you last week, when I planned this series, I was thinking four chapters, that means four weeks. And, you know, that did not happen. And that's a good thing. You know, it's better that we take the time and we break things down and, and look at what Paul was talking to about the, uh, the church of Colossians. Colossians. Let's get my tongue on track here before. I think I sang out all my words, and now I need a refresh from the Holy Spirit. No, we're good. In the book of Colossians, we told you that it's considered uh, by some theologians the least of all the churches. And it was one of the ones that Paul did not pioneer. Epaphras did, or we believe Epaphras did, because of Paul's reference in the book of Colossians. And... Uh, it's called the, the least of all the churches because if you were to think of a church that Paul's going to spend the majority of his time talking to and writing letters to, it would not have been Colossians because the town of Colossae was a city that was in decline. The trade routes had been rerouted by the Romans and they were now going north of them through the cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so Colossae, the grander that it used to be, had been in decline for several years and it continued after the writing that Paul has given to them. Just a few short years, this was written about uh, 60 AD, and about 62 AD, there was an earthquake that rocked the region, leveled the city, and they just said, we're not even going to bother rebuilding it. They put all their resources into Laodicea and Hierapolis, and so when you're thinking about it, it's, the, it's called the least of all the churches, and why should that be important to us? Is because it speaks to us that God cares about the little things. He's not just into the big grand things of your life. He cares about even the smallest details of your life. Come on. And so whatever it is, the thing's like, well, that's not important, or I don't feel important. It doesn't matter. God cares deeply about you. Amen? And so we've made it about halfway through the first chapter, and I think we may, maybe we'll finish chapter one today. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I pulled out a, a, a one of my old seminary resources. This is a book called New Testament Survey by Merrill Tenney, and it's a standard in a lot of different seminaries across North America. And I liked what he had to say about the church of Colossae and the content that we see in it. Oh, man, this is harder to do with one hand. <laughs> there we go. He says, in regarding the content of the book of Colossians, outstanding in Colossians is the passage from chapter 1, verse 14 to verse 22, which sets forth Paul's Christology. And that's what we've been talking about last week and a little bit two weeks ago. And Christology is Paul's theology concerning Christ. And so if you want a clear picture of who Jesus is to you and what he has done on your behalf and the position he holds within the church and within the Godhead, the book of Colossians is where we look. And so outstanding within it is Paul's set forth of his Christology. And curiously enough, it was not a separate treatise, but part of a prayer with which Paul opened the paragraph in chapter 1, verse 9, beginning with the relative clause, explanatory of the phrase, the son of his love. And didn't we talk about that last week? Whenever you think about Jesus, you have to understand that he is the son of his love because God has nothing else to offer but love. It's what he is. And so what comes forth from him is always love. And that's what Jesus and his work on this earth was. It was a gift. 
gift of love and you have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love. And so whenever we think about Jesus, you cannot separate the idea of love because it's all he's got to offer. Love flows continuously over and over and over and over again. So it begins with the clause, the son of his love, and it's continued with the description of Christ in terms that could only be applied to deity. And I wanted to start with that a bit today because when we think about how others view Christ, we can't let their ideas of Christ be substituted for what the Bible displays as Christ. For a lot of people, Christ is a good man. He was a good teacher, or they go as far to say he was even a prophet. No, he was the son of God, and he was fully man and fully God at the same time. And so we don't have to be substituting what the world thinks about Jesus. He is not just a good man. He's the God man, Jesus Christ, God's gift of love to you. Amen? And it says here, That it's summarized finally in the astounding statement that in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in creation, in redemption, in the church, and in our personal lives, Christ must be preeminent. Meaning Christ above all. And as I read through that statement this week, as I was just doing some background information again, I like to do that every week when we're in the midst of a series And as I read those words that Christ must be preeminent, I was reminded of St. Patrick's prayer. And I understand it's not St. Patrick's Day, and that's okay. That does not the only day he applies, right? (laughs) And I'm not going to read the whole prayer, but towards the end of his prayer that is quite famous, he says this. He says, so that the reward may come to me in abundance... That's where he starts out this section. So that the reward might come to me in abundance, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ on beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks to me, Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me, Christ in the ear of everyone that hears me and so I arise today through a mighty strength the invocation of the Trinity through a belief in the threeness and through a confession in the oneness of the creator of all creation and so when he was reflecting on Christ he's like I can't get away from it Christ is everywhere and in all and through all and I will give him the majesty and the honor in which he is due amen that it's the Godhead three in one. And so Jesus is fully God and yet was fully man at the same time. He did a work that no one else could do, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so don't let people minimize the work of Jesus because without him, nothing else was possible. Amen? Magnify Christ. Because Christ is the one who opens doors that no man can shut. He's the one that has redeemed you by his blood that you have the forgiveness of sins. Amen? I just wanted to start off a little differently this morning. And so here in verse 9, let's get back on track. 
It says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And we ask that you be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Let's just stop there for a second. The might you need is not the might you possess. The might you need is not all the might that you can muster. The might you need comes from the might of his glorious power. It's his power that can do a work in you and through you and to those around you only through his glorious power. It takes you beyond what you bring to the table. And I'm so glad for that because I don't have a lot to bring to the table. But I think that God through Christ, I am more than a conqueror in all things. That the greater one lives on the inside of me, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper all that rise against me shall fall not because I have strength but Christ is strong through me and when I am weak he is still abundantly strong so strengthened with all might and power according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy and giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance in the saints in the light. And so that first part, as we've said, it begins with the will of God, and then there's a chain reaction. When you understand where God wants you and what he wants you to be doing, and you get in there, it begins to strengthen you. It begins to change the way you talk. It begins to change the way you walk. It begins to change what you'll settle for, and it leads you to thanksgiving to the Father who has qualified you. Amen? You are qualified. You are able, more than able, actually, the Bible says. You are more than able because of Christ in you to partake of that wonderful inheritance that he has left for us in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we are joint heirs together with him. Do you think that Jesus is not partaking of the inheritance that he purchased? No. He is fully sitting in what he had bought at the cross, at the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension, when he sat down at the right hand of the Father in glory, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, Jesus is partaking. And as the Apostle John said, as he is, so are we in this world. So if Jesus is partaking, you need to go ahead and partake of that which the Father has qualified for you. Amen? And it says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has conveyed us, or translated us, or another word you could say, he has moved you. He has moved you. He grabbed you, and he pulled you out of one kingdom, and he put you into the kingdom of the Lord, the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And that's where we were last week in verse number 14, that we are redeemed by his blood. We are not redeemed by our actions. We are not redeemed by our goodness. We are also not disqualified by our poor actions. Come on. Religion believes do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. True Christianity is Jesus did it for me. I believe, I receive. Amen? Because you'll never qualify yourself, but you've been qualified by the Father, 
through Jesus. And so last week we looked at just how far that forgiveness flows. And what did God say? He said, I'm not even going to remember your sins. I don't even remember them. And so what did he say through Isaiah? He said, go ahead, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together, state your case that you may be acquitted. What was he saying? He's like, if you're struggling with something, bring it up before me. Let's talk about this. Let's have this a conversation, and I'll remind you, you're acquitted. He's like, next case, let's move on. I've forgotten because it's under the blood. And he said he's placed them as far as the east is from the west so that they could never be found. And so religion makes a big deal about sin. Come on, Christianity is about righteousness and truth and the mercy and the grace of God. Come on, that's what Christianity is. It's all about what Jesus has done for you. And so even when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, spirit it says oh he can fix the world of sin and I heard somebody just this week oh yeah the Holy Spirit's just reminding me how I screwed up and I messed up no he says he convicts the world of sin the world last time I checked Jesus said you're not of the world little children (laughs) you are of God because he's moved you from one kingdom to the uh, next amen And so he doesn't convict you of sin. If you read a little bit more, the next part says he convicts the believer of righteousness. He reminds you of just how forgiven you are, just how justified you are in Christ Jesus, just how much he has delivered you. Amen? So let's get into verse 15. This is where we were last week. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. So we're going to try and slow it down a bit here. I need me to catch my breath a bit. I'm huffing and puffing. But he said, he's the firstborn over all creation. And this is such an important statement for us when we're talking about Christology or theology regarding Christ. Because I find most people talk about Christ as the only begotten son. Who is the only son of God. The only son of God. No, he was. Was. The only Son of God. And you know that statement, the only begotten Son, only appears in three places. The first two are in 1 John 3.16 and verse 18, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he references it again in verse 18. And the third reference of the only begotten Son is through John again in 1 John 4, 9, where he says God demonstrated his love for us when he sent his only begotten Son. But throughout the rest of the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the firstborn. And the only reason you ever introduce someone as the firstborn is because it's an indicator that there was more that came after him. He may have been first, but he definitely was not the last. And I don't know what number of son or daughter you are, but you are a son and a daughter of Almighty God with full rights and privileges that come with children. Come on, children, my children, get to act a different way in my house than guests. 
And so many Christians are acting like guests in the kingdom of God. You are not a guest. You are a son and a daughter. And so I don't ever question when Montgomery, who is like the perpetual grazer of our house, he does not stop eating. He doesn't eat big meals, but he's constantly in the fridge. I'll take some carrots. Oh, I'll eat that whole thing of blueberries. And just on and on and on. I don't ever question and be like, what are you doing in my fridge, Montgomery? No, it's his fridge. He's my son. Now, we always have neighbors and friends at our house, and they don't do that. They don't just go right in. They're always like, can I have a snack? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure you can have a snack. They always ask. The great thing about kids is you just do. You just be because that's what you are. You are sons and daughters of God. And so you don't have to be wondering whether, oh, God, could I please? Can I? No, go ahead. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Crawl right up on the lap of Almighty God. You are a son and a daughter in Christ Jesus because of his work. And so Jesus is the firstborn, and many have followed. Jesus went first so that you could follow after in the same path that he had done. And that's why he says in John 14, he's like, guys, what you've seen me do, the works I do, you'll do also because I go unto my Father. And he says, and greater works. Why? Because Jesus went first so that you could follow after. He's the firstborn over all creation. Amen? Amen? But the first part of that says he's the image of the invisible God. When you want to know what does God look like, what does, how does God act, what is his character like, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. This is such an important mindset for us to grab. Because in religion, there's this idea that God is the angry one, He's the one up there who's got this wrath. He's got this judgment. But it's okay. Jesus is standing in between you. Don't worry, guys. I'll hold it back. Don't worry. My blood of the cross has done something to hold this back. No. As Jesus thought, so does the Father. Come on. As Jesus thought, so does the Father. And Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 38. He says, I have come down from heaven to not do to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus' time on this earth wasn't even his own idea, his own intention. What he did on this earth, he was doing the will of the Father, the desires and the intentions and the plan of redemption of the Father. And so don't let religion say God's the angry one and you never know what he's going to do. You know, because some people treat it like God's just looking for any opportunity just to smack him as hard as he can. And I hear it all the time when I'm witnessing to people on the street, oh, I could never go to church. God would strike me with lightning if I stepped in those doors. Nope. He would be just like Jesus, moved with compassion. He would let love flow. And so Jesus said, I've come down from heaven to not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. That is so good. That everything God asked Jesus to do, there's nothing anybody else could do to change it. He won't lose any aspect of redemption, whether it was the stripes on his back for your healing, 
whether it was the blood that was shed for your forgiveness, whether it was the ascension that raised you up together with him, as Ephesians said, to sit with him in heavenly places, there's nothing anyone can do to change it because of that work, he will lose nothing. The Bible says also that no one can pluck you out of his hand. Man, it's such a sure and finalized work that when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he meant it, and it stands unchangeable. You either believe it or you don't, but the opinion in between doesn't matter. It is what it is. It's sure. And so he said, of that what the Father has given me, I won't lose any of it, but I'll raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And so he's the very image of God. He came forth to do the will of God. And so we don't have to wonder if God's a good guy or a bad guy or if he's fickle or if he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. No, Jesus was always very even keeled. You say, well, he we turned over the tables in the, in the temple. Yeah, he did. Why? To bring correction so that they could walk the right path to him that they would not have their trust in ceremonies, not have their tr tr trust in sacrifices, that they would not have their trust in their own ability to deal business. You realize that's the tables he turned over, right? They were doing business in the temple, which was not part of the law. They were not allowed to do that. And so it was not an act of wrath of like, oh, I'm judging you for this. He's clearing it out so that they can have the clear path to Jesus. Amen? And so... He's the very express image of God. He looks just like God. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So let's just get this understood. God used to talk to you through prophets in times past. Okay? This is very important. Because there's a lot of people that are still seeking after, oh, i got to go to that minister so that they can tell me what I need to do, or they can give me a word to keep me... No, no. They can only tell you things that should confirm what the Holy Spirit is already talking to you in, their, in your heart. Because God used to talk by prophets. It says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, in whom he has appointed the heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds. And so Jesus is the heir of all things, and you are joint heir together with him. That the Father has qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance in the saints and the light. Amen? So in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, but here's what it says about his Son in verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Jesus is the very best aspects of God on display. Amen? He's the express image of God. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels. I love that. So much better than the angels. And he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. By inheritance, he's better than the angels. 
the same inheritance that you're partaking of? What does that make you? Better than the angels. Come on. You know, because we get that kind of confused the way the Bible talks. It says, says he has made him a little lower than the angels. That's a mistranslation. That word is not the word angelos for angels. It's the word Elohim for God. What is man that you are mindful of him, O God? You have made him a little lower than God. The angels, they are down here. They are not even on the same class and the same being. They are just servants. It says, are they not ministers sent forth to minister on behalf of those who are the heirs of salvation? They're there to work for you. Come on, I don't want to get too far off course today with that. But he's got a better name than the angels. He's in a better position than the angels, and so are you, because you're partaking of that inheritance together. So back to Colossians 1.15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in verse 16, here's where we want to spend some time today. For by him... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So, why is this groundbreaking? Why is this interesting when we're talking about theology concerning Christ? If I were to ask most of you, if I had not read that verse, who created the earth? You say, well, God created the earth. Well, yes, in a technicality, but God was the commissioner. Jesus was the one who actually did it. It says, for by him, all things were created. Come on. You ever thought about that before? It wasn't God making it happen. All three were present at creation. It's not a mistranslation when it says, God said, let us make man in our image. God was there commissioning the work. Jesus was the one carrying the work out, and the Holy Spirit was the one adding the power to it. He was hovering over the face of the deep, waiting for what was going to be said. What's the command going to be? I'm here to get involved with you. I'm going to work it out. Come on. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that hit the grave and raised Jesus from it. And so in every work throughout creation, whether in that to the cross, and even as we step into eternity, the Father's going to be the command. Commissioner. Jesus is going to be the one that carries it out, and the Holy Spirit's the one, and I'll add the power, that wonder-working, dynamite, miracle-working power. It's always present, and so we can't separate them from the work, but we have to understand that it was Jesus walking it out, and as he was the one who did the work in the beginning, he was also the one who came to do the work at the cross. Amen? Because Jesus is the one always carrying out the work. He says he created all things that are on heaven, in heaven, and are on earth. The things that you see, the things that you don't see. Even in the realms of angels and we have demons and all those things, he was the initial creator of those things. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But John qualifies this and says the same thing in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And so here John tells us, Jesus was right there in the beginning. He's who's being talked about as the word. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus. And so in the beginning, there was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was also God. Three in one. 
He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So I think that's an interesting shift that we need to take. Because it's not just that it was God who created the earth. It was Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3, 11 verse 3 says that by his word, the worlds were framed. And Jesus was the word. Amen? But it says at the end there that all things were created through him and for him. That is original intention. Everything that was created was at one point created to serve and service him. But that doesn't mean it still stands in that position. Why is that important? Because some people view the devil as just another agent of God. Well, you know, they're working together. They're using each other. No. Just because he was originally created to be in service for God, the Bible tells us what he did. He rebelled against God and he said, I'm going to exalt my throne above your throne, O God. I'm going to up, ascend up into heaven and I'm going to exalt myself over you. And so his original intention, he no longer serves that purpose. And you say, why is that important, Pastor Jordan? Well, because just because you were created to do something for God doesn't mean you will. And so let's go back to where Paul's started with this prayer, that they would be filled with all the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so then that they can walk worthy. Come on. And so when you understand that God has created you for a purpose, he's got a place for you to be, he's got things for you to do, you have to stop saying, well, I'm going to do what I want when I want to do. No. Crucify your flesh. That's what the Bible told you to do. Put it under. Then do what God has called you to do. As we talked about when we were talking about the will of God, it's not for us just to seek after our own pleasure. Because what we think will be satisfying and pleasurable to ourselves is nothing compared to the satisfaction and the fulfillment that comes when I stand in my place, I stand in my calling, I stand in my commission. Come on, that I am where he called me to be doing what he told me to do because as we told you when we were talking about the will of God each one of us will stand before the throne of God one day and the works of our life will be put there before it and it said it will be tested by fire and it says that any man's works if they burn up He'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So we're not talking about salvation, but when the works of your life are piled up, the things that God did not call you to do and the things he said, no, don't do that, they're going to burn away. And the Bible says he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. But then it talks about those who did the will of God, and it says that if anything's left over, they'll receive a reward. Come on, there's rewards in heaven and things that God has set aside for those who had the fortitude and the confidence and the boldness to say, no, I may want to do that, but I'm going to do the will of God because that's what he's called me to do. I'm going to stand where he wants me to. It doesn't matter how my flesh feels. I may want to go over there, but if this is where he's called me, that's where I'll be. Come on. You know that when Abraham was called out of the land of Ur, God said, I'm bringing you to a place in which I will show you. And as he just kept going, he kept walking, he kept walking into it. And finally, when he got here, God said, look up, 
Look your eyes this way. Look your eyes that way. Here is that land. It's this blessing. And so if you stay in the land of Ur, you don't get to walk in that blessing that he's prepared for you. Just as Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's workmanship, created under Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so when we're here, it's saying all things were created through him and for him. That doesn't mean they're still being used that way. And just because you were created for his glory and things that he's called you to do, he has plans and purposes for you, he will not make you do it. It takes a yielded heart to say, I'll go where you want me to go, Lord, and I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll follow you all the way. Why? Because that's where true joy and fulfillment will be. I know that as in within my own calling, I've tried to do other things, and nothing makes me happier than standing in the calling. And I remember about 10 years ago, I was like, I'm going to quit the ministry. I'm done with this. I, I can't stand this anymore. And my sister said to me, gave me some good counsel. She said, you would be miserable doing anything else. And I could think of a lot of other things that I was like, ah, I feel like I'd be so happy doing that. But those words are true. Every time I've tried to do something else, it's like, no, that's not fulfilling. I would rather preach to one person and stand in my call than go and have fun with a million others. No, being where God called you to be and doing what he called you to do will bring satisfaction and blessing to your life that you will not find anywhere else. So everything was created through him and for him. And us as those who are sons and daughters that have been created in Christ Jesus, there's a conscious choice that we get to make. And that's important. We get to make. He doesn't force you to make it, but I get to say, God, you want me to go be a lawyer? I'll go be a lawyer. If that's what you wanted me to do, I'm going to do it. God, you want me to be a plumber? I'm going to go be a plumber because that's what you called me to do. And as it says, whatever you do, you do it wholly, wholehearted unto the Lord. There's no parts that it's like, oh, you're not important because you're not a pastor. Come on, no. That's not true at all. We've all been called to things. We've all been given gifts and callings. And when you stand in those callings and you follow after the will of God, despite what your flesh says, you will find satisfaction in them. Amen? Woo! Hallelujah. i got to get some water. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In him all things consist. And when I, when, I, when I read that word, I was like, I don't understand how that fits. And in him all things consist. What does that mean? So I looked up that word, and you know what it means? It means in him all things are put into their place. That's what the Greek word for the word consist there is. Put in their place. In him, all things are put in their place. Which means when we choose to live our lives outside of him, we cannot be in our place. That's why the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What does that say about those who aren't in Christ? They're not new creations, and old things haven't passed away, right? And so in him, all things consist or are put in their place, and he is before all things. This harkens back to that creation moment. Because in, in, in a lot of our mindset, it's Jesus came to be when he was brought into this earth to be us the sacrifice, right? Jesus didn't start at the story of Mary. It says he is before all things, which said we read with creation, he was in the beginning with God, and he was God, and all things were created for him, but he was even there before that. It says this in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Revelation 13, 8. And it's talking about when the, the Antichrist comes on the scene. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Those whose names have not been written. So these are not the Christians we're talking about. These are everyone else. It says they'll worship him. And either the, those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. And you're like, how can that happen? We know that that's at least in Bible chronology about 4,000 years plus. How is it that he was slain before the world was founded? It, but it, we know that it happened about 2,000 years from us. His work and his life transcends time. He is not bound by time like you are. And so when we think of, oh, it was an act about 2,000 years ago, no, it permeated time. And so when we look through the Old Testament, there was people that were having miracles and healings on the credit of the cross that hadn't even happened. Come on. When we think about the story of Abraham and Isaac, where God said, take Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him. What did Abraham say? God will provide himself a sacrifice. And when they got up to the top and they went to go do what they had been asked to do, God said, no, stop. And an angel grabbed us, Abraham's eye, and he said, looked up and he saw a lamb in the bushes. What? That was a sacrifice of Jesus. They were getting a miracle on the sacrifice of Jesus that hadn't even happened yet. Come on, let's look even to the children of Israel. There's a story where their snakes came into the, into the camp and they were getting bitten and they were dying. And what did they do? They fashioned a snake on a pole and they lifted it up before the people. And why? When they looked at it, they were healed. Why? Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. They were getting healed on credit of the cross that they hadn't even seen yet. It was still thousands of years to come. Come on, we can look at another story of the children of Israel. They were dying of thirst in the desert, and they came to a pool of water at a place called Mara, and it was bitter waters. And what did they do? They chopped down a tree, because that's the wisdom that was given to them, chopped down a tree and tossed it in the water, and the waters were made sweet. Why did they chop down a tree? Because Jesus hung up on the tree on Golgotha's hill and he bore it all that he can take the bitter waters of your life and he can turn them sweet. And so he is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And so whatever it is that you're facing in your life, if before the cross it can transcend time and transform their lives, it can do the same for you. Just as Isaiah was looking forward and he said, by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. And Peter looked back to the cross and he says, no, by Jesus' stripes, we were healed. 
everything circulates and revolves around the cross of Jesus. Amen? Why? Because he is the head of the body, the church. When he says the church, he's not talking about this old building that we may be meeting in today. He's not talking about that as the church. He's talking about you as the church. Jesus is the head. And I think we might need to take some more time next week to talk about that because it's it, th that concept and idea kind of flies in the face of how society views themselves today. Well, I'm the boss of my own life and I'll do what I want to do. I'm an independent person. No. You're under the head, which is Jesus. The directions come from him. When you, when you go to work, the boss gives the direction and you follow out the instructions, right? When Jesus gives the command and the direction, you follow out the instructions and that's where the blessing is, right? When you follow out what the boss tells you to do, you get the paycheck, you get the reward. What happens when you don't in the natural sense? If you don't do what your boss told you to do and you sit there and do nothing, what happens? You get fired. <laughs> but Jesus is the head of the church. He's my head. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have preeminence or he can go first. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 11 it says, but I want you to know. This is something that you need to know that Paul's saying. The head of every man is Christ. Come on, do we need to say that again? The head of every man is Christ. But I don't like that. I want to do, no, no, I don't care what your opinion is. The head of every man is Christ. And the head of Christ is God. Amen? So if we look over to the twin epistle, we talked about how Colossians and Ephesians are twin epistles. They say mostly the same things from different aspects. In the twin epistle of Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, He has put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus. God has put everything under his, Jesus' feet. So if everything is under Jesus' feet, and he's the head, and you're the body, where are the feet in the body? Down there. So if everything's under his feet, who is the head of all the body, the church, everything's under your feet. We have to have a perspective shift. Well, I've got this problem. Great, it's under your feet. Well, I got this sickness. Great, it's under your feet. Well, I've got this lack. It's under your feet. Doesn't matter what the name is or what it is, it's under your feet because he's the head, you're the body, and it's under his feet, which means it's under you. He's given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So back to Colossians. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. 
God has poured the fullness of everything of life into Jesus, which is a good place for it to be because you are a man or a woman in Christ. It got, Jesus said, make them one with us as I'm one with you, God. As Paul said about himself, he said, I knew a man in Christ. Come on, how do you view yourself? If you're in need, you better start viewing yourself in the body, under the head, because that's where the fullness of life is found. And whatever you it is you need today, whether you need healing in your body, whether you need breakthrough in your life, whether you need new opportunities coming your way, whether you need new jobs coming your way, it is found in the fullness that is in Christ Jesus. And go ahead and say this with me this morning. I am in Christ. Amen? And so, Father, we thank you for what Jesus is and what he has made to be for us. We thank you that there's no stone that he left uncovered. I thank you that the work of Jesus went all the way that it needed to go. It covered every aspect of every one of our lives for all eternity. And we are so glad to be in Christ Jesus this morning. There's nothing missing. There's nothing lacking because the peace of God has entered into my life and it will guard my heart and mind. And so right now, Father, we just choose to shift our eyes off of whatever the problem that we may have come in with today. We shift our minds off and we follow the instruction of the word that Paul said that if there's anything lovely, if there's anything of good report, if there's anything of good virtue, think on these things. And so we choose to see ourselves as you see us this morning, God. We are healed to the uttermost. Yes, we are blessed with all blessings in heavenly places. We thank you, Father. Oh, we have eyes to see, O oh Lord. Oh, all that you've purchased on our behalf. Hallelujah. I think we need to sing something, Toph. What do you got? Hallelujah. Yes. You are worthy, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are worthy. Come on, let's stand on our feet and lift up our hands unto the King. Oh, worthy. you are, you are worthy, yes, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you, come on, let's sing that again, Tov, oh, you're so worthy, Lord, oh, worthy. You are worthy, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are worthy, yes, Lord, oh, you are worthy.
you Lord you are so worthy Lord of it all hallelujah oh we thank you Jesus glory to you God glory to you God oh hallelujah Woo. we thank you Jesus we thank you Jesus in just a moment our word care team is going to be up here at the front and they would love to pray with you believe with you shout with you testify with you whatever you need this morning they would love to be in, in agreement with you so if you've got anything going on in your life go ahead and come on up and I know there's a ton of people away today because of being Family Sunday weekend. Let's just take a moment and pray for them. Father, wherever they may be, we know there's no distance in the Spirit. We just speak blessing over them in the name of Jesus. We speak your love, O oh Christ, on them. Lord, if they need anything going on in their body, we speak the stripes of Jesus and your health on their behalf. If they're facing any obstacles in their life, oh, we know that your anointing destroys the yoke. And so we thank you, Father. We we call them blessed and just let them know that we're thinking of them right now wherever it is they may be traveling today oh God we are so thankful for them we are so thankful for every member of this body oh we just give you praise honor and glory Lord we declare as you have declared about them that they are blessed in Jesus name hallelujah well pastor Robin I believe I'm done so why don't you bring us in for a landing Hallelujah. Well, it's hard to come into a landing when you're in heavenly places with Christ, right? <laughs> Let's just stay up there. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Well, it's offering time. Um, and the options are online or envelope and basket at the back. Um, so you can do it that way. I want to go to the Word and say what the word, see what the Word says about your giving. It says, there is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will be watered himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just rely on the, the promises of God. Amen? Amen? As you give. Thank you, Jesus. Well, praise God. So, let's, uh, there's some coffee in the back. Let's have some fellowship before you go. All right? Amen? You are a blessed people. Yeah. Amen.